Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. When you've got to know almost the whole story. Hello. Your call is important to us. One agency is on the job 24-7. Please leave a detailed message. Because not knowing is not an option. We're experiencing an upsurge in calls at the moment. FBI BG. Background with no limits. Within limits. All last week. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news... The land of 15,000 princes, freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. This isn't, by the way, the bad old Saudi Arabia. This is the uh, under the reign of the modernizing, liberalizing crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. Agents apparently linked to his regime used spy technology from an Israeli firm, NSO technologies to eavesdrop on a Saudi dissident in Canada. This is according to the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. The Citizen Lab Research Group says it has high confidence that NSO's Pegasus software, that's of course a flying horse, had been used a few months ago to eavesdrop on a 27-year-old Saudi exile, Omar Abdulaziz. According to the report, Picked up by the Canadian daily, the Globe and Mail of Toronto. The aim was to access his iPhone. Abdulaziz lives in Montreal and has been a prominent critic of the Saudi government on social media. Well, that's reason enough to... Any such use of eavesdropping technology by a foreign government would constitute illegal wiretapping. According to Citizen Lab director Ron Diebert. Games, the, the case comes against the backdrop of a diplomatic crisis. Did you know about this? Between Canada and Saudi Arabia, following hostile action, sanctions, financial, no, criticism in August by the Canadian Foreign Minister Christia Friedland, Friedland over the jailing of women's rights activists in Saudi Arabia. She called for their release. Ooh. Saudi Arabia called her comments a violation of its sovereignty in response to suspended diplomatic and trade ties. Trade ties, I said, with Canada. It also brought home thousands of Canadian, sorry, Saudi university students who had been studying in Canada. They will no longer learn to say, eh? In July, the researchers at Citizen Lab issued a warning that misleading messages about protests in Saudi Arabia were being used to target cell phones, including that of a regional Amnesty International researcher. Last month, the University of Toronto Research Group claimed at least 36 governments were making use of NSO's services. It claimed that there was a high degree of probability Saudi Arabia was among them. Suspected Pegasus software infections were found in Canada, Britain, France, and Morocco, in addition to other countries like Turkey. Speaking of Turkey, the news this week, not that you noticed, was that a Saudi journalist, known as one of the country's most outspoken critics, went missing, disappeared after visiting the Saudi consulate in Istanbul to uh, make arrangements relating to uh, filing a divorce before he can remarry, you see. Fears were raised about his safety. Jamal Khashoggi, a prominent Saudi commentator, 
wrote a regular column for the Washington Post. Then he entered the Saudi Arabian diplomatic mission in Ankara, Turkey. More in Turkey than in Ankara for that visit. His Turkish fiancée, who waited outside for him for 12 hours, said he'd failed to come out and called the police. Now, on Saturday night, Turkish officials revealed they believe Khashoggi was killed inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul and his body later driven from the compound. Turkish authorities say they believe Khashoggi's death was premeditated and that Saudi officials had traveled to Istanbul from the Saudi capital of Riyadh after receiving word that the high-profile critic planned to visit the consulate. Officials in Turkey are uh, saying they're going to release today, Sunday, evidence they say supports claims that he was killed shortly after he entered the consulate, including video footage and focus on a black car. Officials believe a a team of 15 Saudis arrived on Tuesday to conduct the killing. Several officials alleged without offering evidence that he had first been tortured. Then the team left Turkey soon afterwards. Now, aside from the particular individual involved and uh, whatever nastiness may have occurred to him, this uh, suggests that the Turks and the Saudis, who had previously been uh, allies in the Middle East political jungle, may be parting ways as the Turks move away from the United States, Saudi Arabia's dear freedom-loving friend, and move closer to Russia. Keep an eye on it if you can, because it's news from outside the bubble, don't you know? Hello, welcome to the show.
From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, Santa Monica, California, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this week's edition of the show, paying tribute to Jeff Emmerich. Jeff Emmerich passed away this week. He was, along with George Martin, sitting at the uh, console, sitting in the studio at Abbey Road and other studios in London, as the Beatles revolutionized pop music in the uh, middle and uh, middle-late 1960s. Music that's um, st- still still knocking around to this day. And so uh, on this program, going back and listening to a little of uh, Jeff Emmerich's 8-track magic with the Beatles. They, they didn't release it on 8-track. They recorded it on 8-track. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, how's that... How's our sacred democracy doing? You know, the one that we're protecting from the Russians? A coalition of election integrity groups and security experts have told the Department of Homeland Security in a new letter, we strongly urge the department and the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, who knew, to caution states against using wireless modems in voting machines takes experts to tell them that. Their kids could have told them that, you see. We offer the following rec- recommendations, they say in the letter. Voting system components from vote capture and tabulation machines to election management systems should not be connected to the Internet. Internet, cellular network, or other public t- telecommunications infrastructure at any time, even temporarily from the time of manufacture until the end of life. Again, Your kids could have told you that. Elect two, election administrators should discontinue the electronic transmission of election results from vote tabulation devices, adopting instead procedures for the physical delivery of election results. (laughs) Physical. (laughs) It's kind of like analog. Either on digital media, such as memory cards, thumb drives, or on paper to election management systems. Well, how about just paper to the guy? Forget the systems. Three, cellular modems within voting systems should be physically removed, not simply disabled by software. Get this thing out of here. How many election administrators in how many states are going to follow those directions before Election Day? Like a month from now. It's, a, it's our sacred democracy, ladies and gentlemen. We have to protect it from the... Ro- and now... He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So remember way back during the Bush administration when one of the justifications for our military adventure into the graveyard of empires, Afghanistan, was, well, we're, we're making progress for the women of Afghanistan. They need our help. That's one of the reasons we're there. This from the Special Investi- Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. Little history. U.S. aid, the main foreign aid part of the U.S. government, launched Promote, a $216 million five-year program to improve the status of more than 75,000 women in all levels of Afghan society. 
It's the agency's largest single investment to advance women globally. Tom? That would be globally. Mm-hmm. After more than three years and $89 million spent, USAID Afghanistan has not demonstrated whether the program has made any progress towards the goal of advancing women. USAID Afghanistan told the Inspector General it does not expect the Afghan government to sustain the program. This raises questions about whether Promote is sustainable at all and could put USAID's investment, our investment, ladies and gentlemen, in jeopardy. Since the start of the program, USAID Afghanistan made extensive changes to the four components performance indicators designed to measure progress from the original 78 they modified 32, deleted 23, and added 20, uh, 13 new indicators. For example, the agency reduced one program component's target for the number of participants obtaining new or better employment from 12,500 to 1,800. They reduced the same performance indicator target for another program, first from 25,000 to 21,000, again to 17,500. Despite the changes the agency made to the program, it's concerning, says the Inspector General, that as of late 2017, only one of the four components was meeting its targets. USAID Afghanistan didn't perform a baseline study until more than two years into the program, leaving the agency without a starting point from which to monitor and evaluate the program's progress over its first two years. As of January of this year, no international donors had contributed funding to promote officials from Five of the seven donor countries the Inspector General spoke to said they cannot financially contribute to the program or that USAID's assumption that foreign donors would contribute $200 million to the program was an unrealistic goal. An end-of-program performance indicator target from one component is for 2,100 women to find new or better employment with the Afghan government. As of September of last year, 55 of the 2,100 women in the target, 55 actually did. The same component's third-year performance indicator targets were to help 420 women find new or better employment, enroll 1,900 women in the internship program, and have 900 graduates. As of September last year, midway through that third year, 39 women had found new or better employment out of 420 of the target. 995 had enrolled in the apprenticeship program out of 1,968 targeted. 132 had graduated, not 900. Concludes the Inspector General, it's unclear whether the agency can deliver the opportunities it promised the women of Af- Afghanistan. I think it's unclear only to the Inspector General, and he's being kind. He adds, given that the program has expended $89 million of its potential $216 million, USAID has an opportunity to reassess and adjust the program and take steps to enhance its sustainability now, rather than waiting until it's over in 20 or 21. I'd rather wait. You know, who knows what could happen? Taliban could take over. And Homeland Security inspectors who made an unannounced visit to a private for-profit immigration jail in California earlier this year found major violations of federal detention standards. Yes, we have them, including cells with nooses dangling from air vents. No, it's not a racial thing. It's a suicide thing. Detainees losing teeth from lack of dental care and one disabled inmate left alone in a wheelchair for nine days. That's called meditation time. The conditions are described in a report issued by the Homeland Security Office of Inspector General, which audited the facility in Adelanto, California, which in Spanish 
means forward. It's overseen by ICE. It's run by Geo Group, which owns and operates 71 federal prisons and detention centers with a combined total of 75,000 beds. Sometimes there are people in them. GEO declined to comment and referred inquiries to ICE. ICE officials say they've ordered a full inspection review of the Adelanto facility beginning later this month, unless they can delay it further. The report details numerous alleged instances of substandard care and neglect by jailers who prematurely and inappropriately lock detainees in segregation cells without proper review, actions that pose a significant threat to detainees' rights, as well as their physical and mental health. Oh, that! The auditors found gross violations of health and safety standards, including detainees were forced to wait weeks or months to see a doctor. Basic dental care was non-existent. Inspectors could not find records of detainees receiving either cleanings or fillings in the past four years. One dentist told inspectors there was no time for that. It was up to inmates to take care of their own oral hygiene, despite a lack of supplies. You know, supplies are overrated, ladies and gentlemen. On uh, Monday of this week, the Washington Post reported on critical findings in a separate DHS Inspector General report that enumerated mistakes in the Trump administration's zero uh, zero tolerance policy separating migrant children from their parents at the border. At least two other internal reports are expected to be released in the coming weeks looking at that policy's failures. Trump's crackdown has strained detention facilities, putting renewed attention on substandard conditions at some, including that heightened risk of suicide among inmates held for lengthy periods awaiting court decisions or deportation. The nooses are a daily issue and very widespread, said the auditors of Adelanto. When we asked two contract guards who oversaw the housing units why they didn't remove the bedsheets which are used to make the nooses, they said it was not a high priority. The uh, detainee in the wheelchair never left for nine days to sleep in a bed or brush his teeth, according to the report. We saw the bedding and the toiletries were still in the bag from his arrival. We observed medical staff just looking in his cell and stamping his medical visitation sheet rather than actually evaluating him as required by ICE. And by required, they mean it's on a piece of paper somewhere. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this program. Now... Let's look at a uh, little news about our friend, the Adam. He's there to serve us until and unless. A nuclear power plant long considered to be the oldest in America shut down a couple of weeks ago. The victim of its age and inability to compete with newer, cheaper gas-fired power plants. This is Oyster Creek in New Jersey. Powered down without incident for the final time after nearly half a century. Oyster Creek and the Nine Mile Point nuclear generating system at Oswego, New York, both went into operation in December 1969. Both plants, which are now owned by Exelon, said they for decades considered Oyster Creek to be the older of the two. It's a somber day, says the vice president of the plant. We've watched emotionally as our reactor shut down for the very last time. Now only 98 remaining nuclear power plants in the United States according to the NRC. What's going to replace the power from Oyster Creek? Offshore wind. No, I'm not referring to Chris Christie. He's not floating yet. 
Deadline Tokyo, the operator of Japan's wrecked Fuk plant, says much of the radioactive water stored at the plant isn't clean enough. Needs further treatment if it's to be released into the ocean. Tokyo Power and the government had said treatment of the water had removed everything except tritium. They called it tritium water. Actually, it wasn't. It still contains other elements, including iodine, cesium, and strontium. Cesium, I hardly knew them. Uh, And they're all radioactive. More than 80% of the 900,000 tons of water storage in those big tanks exceeds limits for radioactivity to be released into the environment. We had to prioritize processing large amounts of water as quickly as possible to reduce the overall risk, says Junichi Matsumoto. So about 161,000 tons of the water has 10 to 100 times the limit for release into the environment. So not treated all that much. And Deadland Seattle, the U.S. government will test and implement a new system to capture and destroy dangerous vapors or vaporous, vaporous dangers released at the nation's most polluted nuclear weapons production site as part of a settlement agreement. The uh, Attorney General of the State of Washington told reporters the agreement represents a major win for hundreds of workers who've been getting sick for years while cleaning up the nation's nuclear waste at the Hanford Reservation. He had added the U.S. Department of Energy didn't take the issue seriously and resisted putting protections in place. There's no way to sugarcoat this, he said. The Energy Department will, for the first time, test a new technology that the Attorney General of the State of Washington called game-changing. It would protect workers from the vapor exposures. From the never-too-late department.
Yes, it's the English pressing. Why you ask? From Southern California, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for news of the war. Won't you? It won an award once, somewhere a long time ago. Soft, listen to the war. We can listen to the war. Ask your folks, they probably remember. Earth, and there's some actually good news this week in News of the Warm. So you might want to sit down for this. Or if you're sitting down, you might want to stand up. Earth's peat soils store a lot of carbon, about as much as currently flows freely through the air as carbon dioxide, as a matter of fact. Scientists have been worrying that the planet's grip on these carbon reservoirs could weaken as uh, temperatures rise, unleashing a carbon bomb. Pardon me. That could further destabilize Earth's climate system. A new study led by Florida State University offers some hope. Hurt Earth's carbon reservoirs might not be as vulnerable as experts have predicted. In a global survey of peatlands, areas defined by soil-like partially decomposed organic matter. Sounds like dinner. Researchers found al- uh, signs that these carbon-rich environments could show some level of long-term resilience, even as temperatures continue to climb. The study suggests they're uh, more stable than we initially thought. This mutes the carbon bomb hypothesis. It's good news. The findings published in the journal Nature Communications. Mute that bomb. When Hurricane Florence slogged ashore in North Carolina, coastal wetlands offered one of the best lines of defense against the hurricanes, waves, and storm surge. People who live in Louisiana know about that. Wetlands are your friend. When it comes to muting or at least decreasing the ferocity of both wind and water damage, wind and water velocity, which causes damage. Now a new study predicts such wetlands will survive rising seas, helping to buffer the world's coastlines and provide them many other ecological and economic benefits, only if humans preserve the room needed for the wetlands to migrate inland. Scientists call it accommodation space, not reaccommodation. That only happens in the United Airlines. Study published in Nature addresses a major uncertainty in how salt marshes and mangrove swamps will respond to sea level rise, authored by an international research team. There was uh, one U.S. contributor. The main author from uh, U.K. says, rather than being an inevitable consequence of global rising sea levels, our findings indicate large-scale coastal wetland loss might be avoidable if sufficient additional space can be created now, that would be done by increasing the number of innovative nature-based adaptation solutions to coastal management. Whether the coastal wetlands get bigger or smaller in the future depends upon how much dry land is lost to sea level rise and how fast wetlands move into that submerged land. The study was motivated by the history of conflicting predictions concerning the fate of coastal wetlands in a warming world. So make room for wetlands, everybody. Come on, pick up. Hydrogen is seeing support grow in Europe as an alternative to oil and gas and over renewable energies like wind and solar. Late September, 25 European nations backed a measure to increase hydrogen use to power factories, drive vehicles, and heat homes. A non-binding agreement was signed in Linz, Austria, on the back of a tort, so it's really non-binding. No, sorry, that delved into increasing research into the technology and using existing gas grids to distribute hydrogen. 
The uh, coalition sees it both as an alternative to fossil fuels and to solve the problem for electricity generation caused by fluctuating supply of renewable energies. Of course, that would be dealt with by uh, improved battery technology as well. Advocates of the hydrogen economy have been pushing the fuel for years. Support has been slow. But uh, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles and hydrogen as an alternative power source does have growing business and government support in Europe as well as the U.S., Japan, and China. Fuel cell passenger vehicles are much smaller than even electric vehicles and sales. Hydrogen is gaining global support for energy production and storage, heating systems, and fuel cell vehicles in the transport and public transit areas of our lives. A fish normally found in tropical waters has twice been spotted off the west coast of Scotland. This happened uh, during September, the fourth time this year, that the tropical sunfish has been recorded by the Whale and Dolphin Trust up Scotland Way. The ocean sunfish is the heaviest bony fish in the world. There's a cocktail bet you can win with an average weight of 2,200 pounds. The species was recorded by the crew of a fishing boat off the north coast of Skye. A sunfish was also seen off of Ardnamurchan. Sunfish drift with ocean currents. They were once rarely seen in Scotland, but guess what? Boat operators have reported more sightings in recent years. August, the peak month so far. They live on a diet of mostly jellyfish. So I, for one, welcome our new sunfish overlords. Eat more. Eat more jellyfish, won't you? And they swim at depths of up to nearly 2,000 feet. So apparently, sunfish don't get the bends. Even cowgirls get the blues, but sunfish don't get the bends. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, a little dose of news from outside the bubble. And it brings us to the subject of <laughs> President Trump, who's had a good week in some respects, but not in this respect. His Scottish golf clubs, not the implements you use for hitting the ball, the country clubs, lost about $6 million last year. The company blamed economic downturn. I thought things were going well. I thought this was a boot, hot economy and a lower oil price, they blamed as well. Really? The Trump-Turnbury Resort lost uh, about $5 million. The fourth consecutive year of losses for the club. Eric Trump, the director of the parent company, wrote this was one of the most robust financial results in a decade for the resort. He's bragging on losing. So much losing, they're going to get tired of losing. He wrote that the directors expect the club to have operating profitability in the short to medium terms. A phrase I think he uh, nicked from Elon Musk. He says uh, that resort is going to become Scotland's leading destination for weddings, conferences, and events. Oh, also golf played there. The travel section of the newspaper The Telegraph gave the resort an 8 out of 10 rating, describing the gold bathroom fixtures and chandeliers installed as a part of the new redecoration as, quote, Las Vegas by the sea. The other resort, Trump International Golf Links Scotland, Lost a couple million last year, lower than the a uh, little bit lower than the loss the year before. Explaining losses, Eric Trump wrote the crash in oil price and economic downturn experienced in the northeast of Scotland 
has resulted in a drop to local spending. He also wrote, Trump International's reputation and status with tour operators and agents across Europe, America, and further afield continues to expand. Unquote. I wouldn't have thought people in northern, northeastern Scotland would be the um, target market anyway. Rather, the tourists from abroad. But that's, you know, don't look at me. I'm no Trump. News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this very program. And, of course, the other news in Trump world, much much of it was uh, favorable this week. Of course, most uh, recent good news for the Trump administration was the Senate's vote on Saturday to confirm by not the narrowest, but almost the narrowest possible margin. I still believe the narrowest in history, I think. The uh, nomination of, I call him part, Brett Kavanaugh to be... uh, an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court, after all the the stuff, after all the stuff, including that FBI investigation that reports indicated throughout the week was limited in scope, and the administration and the Senate Judiciary Committee kind of played ping pong with who drew up the set of limitations on the scope of that investigation. I believe they only talked to six people. I think that was the final number. Don't hold me to it. I'm, I'll be I'll be skedaddling before you get to me. Uh, the other uh, good news for the Trump administration, of course, was the good economic report on Friday. Lowest un- official unemployment rate in 49 years. Of course, that doesn't take into account all the people who've left the labor force. That was a point that Donald Trump used to make when he was running against Barack Obama when Barack Obama bragged about the low unemployment rate. Well, what about the people who left the labor force? Doesn't talk about that anymore. I don't know why. But the biggest, baddest news for (laughs) President Trump this week was a story that the New York Times thought got so much less attention than it deserved that it republished the entire story today, Sunday, originally came out uh, on Thursday's paper. But, you know, Kavanaugh, 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 Kavanaugh. It was a very detailed, exhaustive story about the Trump family finances through the decades and all of the machinations that the father, Fred Trump, used to divert money out of his company, thereby avoiding taxation and diverting it to the pockets of his kids in such a way as to avoid paying a gift tax as well. Main recipient, of course, Donald J. Trump. And the remaining piece of good news was the announcement at the beginning of the week of a replacement for the NAFTA free trade treaty among U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Canada, I'm sorry. uh, Replaced by a new or fairly new agreement among the three countries called the USMCA, that is U.S., Mexico, Canada. There are reports in the media following the announcement that there was grumbling within the administration that the uh, new name wasn't as catchy as the old one. This week, for the first time, the teams get their projects over the finish line, but... 
as the businessman turned chief executive is discovering after every finish line is a new beginning line. General Kelly, my favorite chief of staff. <laughs> Last time I looked, sir, you're only chief of staff. At the moment. <laughs> Won't argue with that, sir. Especially today. Why? What is this? Don't tick off the boss day? Oh, you've got to be happy about the nomination getting through. Two members of the Supreme Court in two years. See, to me, that's the bad news. <laughs> How's that, sir? I'd have to be here nine years to replace the whole thing. I, I don't think you... Good point. Besides, John, mm -hmm. I can tell you, you're the one person around here that doesn't leak. Thank you, sir. I don't even think you're taping, <laughs> but I can tell you this. The confirmation is a great thing for Mike Pence. Floats his friggin' boat like crazy. Me? I'm not exactly breaking out the champagne, which I would never drink anyway. Really, sir? First of all, I don't like a new guy in the court basically doing a non-stop beer ad all last week. Mm -hmm. A bit unseemly. More than a bit. Mm. He was doing it for free. He was giving it away. That's not how my teams work, John. Yes, sir. Now, now you want to sell naming rights to the court building to Coors or somebody? Mm. Now you're making incredible sense. Mm. Not this, I like beer, I used to like beer, I still like beer crap. Oh, it, it was crap, sir. Yeah. But uh, I have a desk and a half of work for today and only one desk to do it on, so... It's not my fault. Look, you do have a task, all right. Mm -hmm. Get that no good excuse for an attorney general in here, like yesterday. Yesterday morning. You want to see Jeff Sessions? Yes. Why? You hate him. It's unpleasant for you, it's very unpleasant for him. Good. I'll take unpleasant for very unpleasant. It's like Jeopardy without the questions. Can you get him in here? You, you don't want to talk to him on the phone. On the phone he can hang up. Can you do it? Consider it done. Jeff. Yes, sir. Congratulations on the win. Winchman. I don't need your congratulations. I've got Tucker Carlson's. <laughs> yes, sir. So, Jefferson Davis Beaujolais. Beauregard. Beauregard. Confederate name, Confederate name sessions. Mm. Wouldn't you for once in your redneck life... And by the way, I never called you a dumb redneck. That's fake news. You're a very intelligent redneck. Th thanks. For once in your life, you wouldn't want to make Donald J. Trump happy? That's a question? It isn't a friggin' answer. <laughs> Sir, I have to say I'm at least pleased and relieved that you've ratcheted down the profanity since the last time we spoke. Look, everybody's taping. Melania thinks that stuff looks bad in print. Well, I I'm here as part of my team to do whatever it takes Then decuse yourself. Decuse yourself. That would be when you de-recuse, wouldn't it? I need a new word, right? I can't do that, sir. I took an oath. Yeah, 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 an oath to F me over. What? Tell Bob Woodward I said that or whoever you're talking to. Okay, look, seriously, Jeff. That horrible, horrible story in the failing New York Times, which isn't failing fast, nearly fast enough for me, believe me. The, the, the big old story about your daddy's money and... And nothing. Less than nothing. Mm -hmm. So, Jeff. Yeah. You're an intelligent redneck. What do you think uh, those two fake reporters got all those documents, huh? Just went fishing? Just called up a damn notary public out of the freaking phone book? I'm not quite sure where you're going with Listen, this. Listen, Rufus K. Doofus, this was leaked by Mueller. It's too long ago. It's under the statute of limitations. So he hands it to so-called reporters and say, here, have a good time, right? See where this is going now? You want me to fire somebody? Your task this week is to fire Mueller's boss. Rob Rosenstein? If I do it, there's heat like you wouldn't believe. 
But he's your employee in your department. Muller gets the message that he's next. Except he's not. He doesn't know that. Can you do it? It'll be a big win for your team. I have to consult my attorneys and then... And then they'll tell you no. You know, Jeff, if I'd known it would come to this, I would never have let you be my first Senate supporter. Crazy. Now you really are a dumb redneck. Mr. President, congratulations again. Peter, my number one trade guy, you made it happen. Sir, your stubbornness and your refusal to listen to the wailing of the establishment globalists made it happen. We said we were going to poop can NAFTA and we did it. Yeah, but I'm worried about it, Peter. Getting it through Congress, that should Screw be. Congress. Hmm. I'm worried about the name. I keep reading it. They say it's clunky. Mm-hmm. It's not an acronym like NAFTA. It's right. not another kind of word. It's just... It's just, uh... it's just initials. I know, sir. So, your task this week mm-hmm. is to do something about it. Make it a brand or something. Sir, I, I anticipated the task. Let me just connect to my Bluetooth speaker. and uh... Here you go. is such a good deal business so incredibly real business this is sweeter than veal and it's all because i'm in the white house farmers it's like a ton of new soil farmers a huge reward for your toil farmers it's like you went and struck oil it's not new nafta this comes after Welcome to the USMCA, what a continent, USMCA, no more discontent, I'm flipping my lid, can't believe what I did, it was tough, I was rough, but now I love trade, Mexico, you'll decimate us no more, Mexico, we've got a flat playing floor, Mexico, now we'll open the door to your cars and trucks. Not your people, Canada. Glad that you came along, Canada. It happened cause I was strong, Canada. Hit Trudeau with a schlong, but I like him a lot. Believe me. USMCA, people cheering for the USMCA. That's all I'm hearing. I wouldn't flinch. I wouldn't fade. It was rough. I was tough. But now I love trade. Wow, Peter. <laughs> wow, just wow. Well, Two questions. Mm-hmm. Who's the voice? It, it's, it's, a, it's a demo, sir. He's the guy who did your voice in the last few uh, Trump Stakes commercials. He's great. Mm-hmm. And the other question. We changed the melody just enough so we don't have to pay royalties. Peter, listen to me. I can tell you this. You are never firing. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make USMCA great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentess. This week, you want to not watch, and you can't.
Now, the Apologies of the Week. Taylor Washington, a senior Trump appointee at an agency responsible for enforcing laws against financial discrimination, apologized this week for blog posts he wrote years ago questioning whether the N-word was racist and expressing skepticism about hate crimes. Do I regret some of the things I wrote when I was 25? Absolutely, says Eric Blankenstein, a policy director at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. The tone and framing of my substance reflected poor judgment. This apology was in sharp contrast to a defiant statement he first issued when the Washington Post first found the stuff, the insight to be gained about how I perform my job today by reading snippets of 14-year-old blog posts that have nothing to do with consumer protection law is exactly zero. Another guy in trouble for stuff he did when he was a kid. It's the theme of the week, isn't it? U.S. Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke, the Democrat running against Ted Cruz in Texas, apologized for a decades-old review of a Broadway play he wrote as a student at Columbia in which he could critique the performance of actresses, quote, whose only qualifications seem to be their phenomenally large breasts and tight buttocks, unquote. I'm ashamed of what I wrote, and I apologize, he said. There is no excuse for making disrespectful and demeaning comments about women. The quote was surfaced by someone who opposes O'Rourke. Nutty, isn't it? The principal of Fairhope High School in Fairhope, Alabama, sent out a letter of apology after he received complaints that inappropriate music was played by the student section at the football game last Friday night. Principal John Cardwell said in a statement, the song was played that contained profanity and derogatory language towards women. The letter was emailed to the Fairhope parent community and school board officials. It was a big game between Fairhope and Daphne. The stands were packed. This morning, I'm disgusted at a Fairhope event. A song referring to females as bitches and repeated use of the MF word and even racial, racial slurs was played. I'm disgusted and ashamed this happened. Please accept my apology, unquote. In the uh, principal's letter, disgusted is capitalized. He's been reading too many Trump tweets. Family of Seth Rich, the Democratic National Committee staffer whose 2016 murder was twisted into a right-wing conspiracy theory, has f- received its first public apology. The Washington Times published a lengthy retraction and apology for a March 1st opinion column that promoted the theory that Rich and his older brother stole thousands of DNC documents and gave them to WikiLeaks. The retraction and apology are part of a settlement between the Times and Aaron Rich, who had sued the paper for defamation. The op-ed was written by a retired Navy admiral. Brooks Kopka, Kepka has issued an apology after a tee shot he hit during the Ryder Cup golf tournament struck a fan in the eye. He noted the fan, identified as Ms. Raymond, had her condition worsened since the incident occurred. I made contact with her family to offer my sincere and heartfelt sympathy. I'm heartbroken by the incident, said the golfer. She told the Agence France Press she had lost sight in her right eye, was exploring legal action. Exploring it with the good eye, I would hope. Hit with monumental fines for tax evasion, Chinese actress Fan Bingbing. I said, Fan Bingbing, it's fun to say, made a big apology Wednesday saying she felt ashamed and guilty for what I did. This is her first public statement after months of silence on her social media account and fevered speculation over her disappearance from view. Fans and industry observers wondered whether Fan, China's highest paid actress, had been put under house arrest by Chinese authorities or even imprisoned and interrogated under duress or undressed. She's yet to be seen in public, but Fan said she accepted responsibility for having lost my ability to govern myself in the face of economic interests leading myself to break the law. She said she endured an unprecedented amount of pain. I don't think that means she was tortured, though. She credited Chinese ruling Communist Party and her fans for her success as an actress. Her company's 
now face as much as $129 million in back taxes and fines. Chinese government is stepping up its campaign to ensure all citizens tow the party line. Don't heal it, tow it. Kyrie Irving, now with the Boston Celtics, offered a simple message to science teachers. I'm sorry, he said. He regrets publicly saying, the earth is flat. No, you don't really need to know any more about that because it, it don't get deeper than that. John Earl Nolly was exonerated this week after spending 19 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. This was in Fort Worth, Texas, where State District Judge Lewis Stearns apologized to Nolly for the 21 years that he lost, 19 in custody because uh, plus two years waiting for his name to be cleared after he was accused of murdering a woman who was a good friend of his. I want to apologize for what happened to you, said the judge. I realize I can't, that cannot take back 21 years, but to the extent that words can express our sorrow, I apologize for what happened, unquote. The judge, he was convicted based on false testimony from two jailhouse informants and sentenced to life in prison. Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, was roundly criticized for his Monday night performance as moderator of the Pennsylvania gubernatorial debate, the only one they're having this year. He apologized a couple days later, saying he'd failed to recognize the seriousness of the event for the voters. In a three-paragraph statement, he said he was naive and misunderstood his role. I thought that as moderator, I was to provide a certain lighthearted approach while still being able to challenge the candidates on their record of positions. I didn't realize I was to ask a simple question and put it in the form of an answer. No, and then let the gentlemen go at each other. I offer my sincere apologies to the people of Pennsylvania, a state I dearly love. What is... Pennsylvania. Oh, and Saudi Arabia, this one more, not really an apology, but from the land of 15,000 princes, Saudi Arabia says it's working hard to correct mistaken targeting by its military coalition that has killed civilians, including children. UN rights experts voiced skepticism. Hey, um, oh, and, and uh, back to the apologies. Rick Santorum, former senator from Pennsylvania, Republican, apologized after saying bull on uh, CNN during a heated debate on the Kavanaugh thing. Sorry, he said. He apologized for using profanity, but stood by the substance of his arguments. And Chicago's Cardinal Blase Kupich is apologizing for remarks he made earlier this year about the sex abuse crisis facing the Catholic Church. He had said the church had a bigger agenda. It would be a mistake for Pope Francis to get into each and every one of the sex abuse cases. It was a mistake for me to even mention the church has a bigger agenda than responding to the charges in the letter by the former papal nuncio, Vigano. What I should have said is that nothing is more important for the church than protecting young people, said the cardinal. I apologize for the offense caused by my comments. Apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. It returns when you do next week on radio at the same time, on your other device of choice, on your time of choice. It's, it's, it's you. You're the, you're the man or you're the woman. 
It's all up to you. Please come back. I'm begging you now. And it'd be just like me begging you if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, not in exile in Hawaii desks. A tip of the show chapeau as well to Dave Pell at Next Draft. And thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh at WWN on New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for the program, a playlist of the music you hear here, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.